today on CityCast Madison. It's back. Canadian wildfire smoke is moving hundreds of miles into the U.S. and our lungs are taking the hit. We're still in a drought and now a heat wave's coming. Dane County's recent weather has been extreme and chaotic. Perhaps we misjudged just how much impact climate change could have on Madison. We asked state climatologist Steve Vavris, what's going on? It's Wednesday, July 26th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Steve, hello. Good morning. You were chosen for a new gig. You are our state climatologist. That's um, right. What does the state climatologist do? Well, the state climatologist does a lot. And, and this state climatologist has been very busy given the strange weather we've had in 2023. So I, I took over this position in uh, January, January 1st, thanks to some funding through the USDA that was secured by Senator Baldwin. And we're using this grant to provide improved climate services. And the way I define climate services is that it involves information, climate information, interpretation, and investigation. So information is kind of what you would expect. Where can I find climate, weather and climate data? Um, and uh, a lot of it's online. Uh, interpretation is uh, if you do find that climate information, our office can help provide an assessment of whether it's trustworthy, not all weather and climate data are, and also an explanation because some of it's pretty technical. And then in terms of investigation, that comes down to research. So this is uh, uh, something that the, the uh, climatology office has not had the ability to do over the last 20 years because it's been purely volunteer run. And now we're going to be expanding staff, hiring a full-time assistant, and we're going to have the ability now to do some interesting research projects to understand Wisconsin's climate, how it's been changing, as well as developing tools that can help stakeholders make better decisions. So for instance, farmers, farmers uh, can look to the office to, to find tools that might help them make better decisions in terms of when to plant, when to spray, when to harvest, and, and how safe their animals are during a heat wave, for example. Sure. Oh my goodness gracious. It's very, very important. I understand we're getting an upgrade to our weather monitoring systems. It's a part of this. What's a mesonet? Yeah, a mesonet's a term that's probably pretty esoteric <laughs> to most listeners. Uh, it is a coordinated network of weather stations. And many states, if not most states, have a mesonet in place. And uh, so Wisconsin has lacked this for many years. We've had, you know, a station here, a station there. We've, we've had different um, networks, but not a coordinated one with the same type of instrumentation. So that's important, too. So that you're making an apples to apples comparison everywhere in the state. And what's great about this is there's going to be a high quality uh, long-term sustained weather station in every Wisconsin county, uh, all 72 plus some extras. So the plan is that there will be 90 stations total in this mesonet network. And it sounds like that wasn't the case before, which is no, kind of alarming no, in a certain exactly. sense. Exactly. <laughs> so, right. So Wisconsin had a handful of these stations, but we had to outsource them to Michigan, which 
kind of humiliating, but, right? <laughs> dang it. Yes. They did a great job of taking care of them and providing data. But first of all, having only six or so is not nearly enough. Uh, but Whoa, secondly, six to 90? Yeah, it yeah. decreased. Existing monitoring stations often only collect, say, rainfall or temperature, whereas these mesonet stations are going to collect a lot more data. There's, they're going to collect data on solar energy, so we'll know how, how cloudy it is. They collect data on wind, on humidity, but also soil conditions, temperature and soil moisture, which is critical right now during the drought. So we need that information on such fine scales from county to county to know exactly who is suffering the most from this drought. This is a very exciting moment for this office. And I just wanted to um, emphasize that you said that previously it was being run by volunteers, people giving their time for free, something massively important. And now you guys are getting more staff. So, you know, people used to think about the Midwest as this oasis from climate change. Like maybe we'd be accepting climate refugees from the coast someday. And judging from late, should we rethink this oasis dream? <laughs> I think we should uh, for different reasons. I mean, it is true on the surface. We're not subject to hurricanes. We haven't suffered wildfires like California has. But we've sure had our share of extreme weather in the last decade. The 20-teens were Wisconsin's wettest decade on record, and we had numerous extreme flooding events. And then this summer, to refresh everybody's memory, uh, we've now had not only one of the, the worst droughts in memory, uh, but also this crazy wildfire smoke, which I, I never remember having this much of, and, and the statistics bear that out. You know, you mentioned the wildfires. We normally wouldn't expect anything like this, this sort of smoke, but what does that mean for us and, and our climate like moving forward? This, this summer has been crazy. I mean, I, you know, the wildfire smoke has had the worst, produced the worst air quality um, on record, at least back to 1999, uh, records that the EPA keeps. And that's true for, you know, Milwaukee. It was true for Madison recently. And, you know, obviously, anecdotally, everybody who's been around uh, won't need any convincing of that. Um, but you know, the circumstances that produced this were unusual. Uh, Canada's having its worst wildfire season on record by far. And so anytime we get a northerly wind, we were subject to more smoke and probably we're going to see repeat episodes to some degree the rest of the summer and possibly into the fall. Uh, what was really unusual about that terrible episode in um, uh, the latter part of June and into July was that it came from Quebec. So it required a, a strange northeasterly wind flow, which is not normal. And um, uh, as a result, we were bringing in the, the uh, wildfire smoke from the east and northeast. So that part's unusual. <laughs> Normally, when we get the smoke here, it's from the west, um, as we had last weekend. But this has been an odd summer all the way around. I feel like there's a lot of surprises right now. Definitely. Yeah. We're, this is a, a real concern that I have regarding climate change. It's the, the unknown unknowns. So there are certain things we can kind of predict like, wow, we're probably going to get more extreme rainfall events. Some things like droughts, a little less clear, but you know, there have been surprises and, and we should expect surprises because we're going into uncharted territory. And so there's, there should be a heavy dose of humility with some of these projections and uh, anticipating what's to come regarding climate change. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, Dane County is in an extreme drought. That's almost as bad as it gets, as high as the charts go. Where does this year's drought fall in Wisconsin's history? Like, how unusual is this? 
This is really unusual in a couple ways. One is the intensity and the extent in the sense that all of Wisconsin is at least abnormally dry. And if you uh, look at the combination of this extent of drought across the state and the intensity within the state, this is as bad as it's been since 2012. That was a notoriously bad drought year as well as a heat wave summer. The other biggie was 1988, which is harder for a lot of people to remember, but that was comparable. And it also had a bad heat wave with it. And in both of those summers, it wasn't just Wisconsin, it was the entire Midwest that was affected. So this year's drought is, is right up there. And what's extremely unusual about this one is how quickly it came on. So Wisconsin had its wettest January through April on record. And then suddenly we flipped completely to the third driest May and June on record. So the, the rate at which this drought came on and starting from such a wet beginning was um, uh, very unusual, if not unprecedented. And isn't that part of what we understand climate change is going to do is going to bring sort of this sort of erratic unpredictability, just intensity. There's just more energy going on. There, yeah, there is more energy in the system for sure. And exactly how that will express itself is uh, being uh, investigated by researchers like myself and others. Uh, one of the things that's come out from that research is the climate model strongly suggests that we'll see more uh, extreme precipitation events, as we've been seeing, uh, but also more periods of dry weather in between. Uh, this is much more like our summertime precipitation pattern in general. So uh, typically in the summer, we get heavy doses of thunderstorms for a day, part of a day, and then we go for several days with nothing. That's a little different than in the spring and in the winter when the uh, precipitation amounts tend to be steadier, smaller, and and more you know more frequently occurring. Uh, so I, I expect that we'll, the, the warmer climate will produce more of a summertime type of precipitation situation, which would logically lead to the conclusion that we'll be seeing more of these flip flops. And 2023 has been the the flip floppiest year I can remember in terms of precipitation. When you go from record extreme positive uh, the first four months of the year to one of the driest May Junes on record. That That's about as extreme as it gets. It was stunning. I didn't even recognize it as someone not working, you know, as a farmer or, you know, out and about. And I recognized that sitting in a park. I'm like, wait a second, the grass is all, it's all yellow. Um, and so it sounds like this is also going to be a new normal. Hopefully not this extreme, but I think that this pattern of flip-flopping and I call it weather whiplash I'm afraid that is going to become more common with climate change. And uh, I think especially when it comes to precipitation, uh, perhaps with temperature too, but we, we can more reliably say that the temperature will be increasing uh, over time in the future. But uh, precipitation, so when you think of, of global warming, I mean, warming is in the name. So it makes sense that the, the places will warm, Wisconsin and pretty much everywhere else in the world. But a warming climate doesn't necessarily mean a, a, a climate that's getting wetter. And so that's the part of the equation that's more difficult to figure out. Uh, and in fact, climate models suggest that some places in the world will be getting wetter and other places will be getting drier. So that part is much more complicated. You know what life loves? Instability. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. <laughs> well, like... I'm afraid we've got it right now.
talking about precipitation, we're no strangers to floods. We're surrounded by lakes. You know, thinking back to the crazy floods in 2018, um, I feel like we've seen a few hundred year floods and I'm not that old. So it's a moving target right now as climate change produces or favors more of these extreme precipitation events. So um, if you look at the 20 teens, for example, uh, all large parts of the state experienced these um, 100 year rainfall events. So rainfall amounts, say, in a day that normally only occur about once a century. And there was a, a disproportional number of uh, these 100 year events across Wisconsin, north, south, east, west. And that went hand in hand with the fact that it was the wettest decade on record in the state. So, um, you know, it wasn't just Madison, it wasn't just Dane County, although Western Dane County in that 2018 storm you allude to was uh, almost mind boggling to think that we could get a foot of, of rainfall in one day. That That's tropical storm hurricane amounts, which I, I didn't expect that we would see in Wisconsin. Can you forgive me? How is it that we're getting so much more water and it's related to the planet heating? Like, how are those two connected? Yeah, so it has a fairly easy explanation, and that is that warmer air can hold more moisture than cold air. And so when, you know, when we have, for instance, in the summer, our wettest three months in Wisconsin that have the most intense rainfalls are June, July, August. Typically in the middle of July, we are suffering from high humidity, a lot of muggy nights and, and pretty uncomfortable conditions. And there's actually another part to this too, is that so warmer air can hold more moisture, but we're also seeing a more sluggish summer atmosphere so that the circulation in, in the atmosphere has been weakening in the summer, uh, especially over North America, and it's expected to continue. And that's concerning because that means that when we do get a particular weather uh, air mass uh, or a particular storm, uh, like we had in August of 2018 in Dane County, it may not move along uh, from west to east or north to south as quickly. And that was the problem with that 2018 storm around Madison is it just did not move all day long. And so not only was the rainfall intense, but it didn't propagate like you'd hope and expect it to. Instead, it just stayed put over one area for many, many hours. And that's what caused the terrible flooding. Oh my goodness. The systems are starting to shift in ways that aren't so helpful to us to state the obvious here. Right. Many people think of uh, tornadoes, right? And when we think of bad tornadoes, we often think about the plain states in the middle of the country, Oklahoma, Kansas, there's no place like home, the Wizard of Oz. You know, and there's a, a place called Tornado Alley. Is it moving north? It's a good question. Um, and it appears from my reading that the Tornado Alley in, in recent decades has been shifting eastward more than it's been shifting north or south. I'm glad you brought up tornadoes because tornadoes and severe thunderstorms are a couple of areas where Climatologists don't have a great deal of confidence about how they'll change in the future. Even severe thunderstorms, their very nature, um, they, they tend to be scattered. So, for instance, Madison can get hit by a terrible uh, severe thunderstorm, hailstorm, potentially even a tornado. Um, and where I live in Beloit, the sun might be out. And that's very typical of summer storms. And so it's, it's inherently scattered. It's inherently difficult to predict even on you know day-to-day -day weather forecasts much less projections out many years or even decades. Can you break that down a little bit further for me in terms of the why the tornadoes are hard to predict? 
So hurricanes are very coherent. They, they're large scale. They move slowly. Satellites track them. Weather forecast models do a good job of predicting where they'll go to some extent, how they'll intensify. Uh, whereas tornadoes happen you know, kind of out of the blue. We might have conditions that are very favorable for tornadoes. And sometimes we get a big outbreak and sometimes we don't. And even if we do get a big outbreak, it's next to impossible to predict exactly where they'll occur. Um, when you're talking the scale of, you know, within Dane County, uh, one location might get hit by a tornado and, and literally the sun could still be out somewhere else. Right. And uh, so the sirens go off whenever there's a tornado anywhere in the county. But we've probably all had experiences where, you know, the sky is looks fine where we are, but the tornado sirens go off because someone in somewhere in the county is experiencing a funnel cloud or a tornado. Climate scientists, you guys are, are concerned right now about tracking how tornadoes and, and thunderstorms are going to shift. Right, right. And in terms of future conditions, whether it's tornadoes or whether it's severe thunderstorms, there's sort of a tug of war at work in terms of whether we'll have more or fewer or more intense or, or weaker. And that is that um, the fuel for these storms is warmer and more humid air. And we do expect we'll see warmer, more humid air in the future. So that would favor more severe thunderstorms. On the other hand, there are other factors, um, something called wind shear, which means the change of wind velocity with height, uh, which is expected to weaken. So um, the fact that it essentially comes from the fact that the Arctic is warming more than the, the lower latitudes, that weakens the jet stream winds and that produces less wind shear. And uh, less wind shear means conditions are less favorable for severe thunderstorms and tornadoes. Is that part of the sluggishness you, you described? Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's the sluggishness. And so we've got these competing factors. One favors more extreme storms and tornadoes. The other favors less. And right now, we just don't have um, a good enough handle from the climate model output on which side will win that tug of war. I want to shift to kind of look big picture. I'm pretty sure I attended a lecture of yours like 10 years ago <laughs> on campus. Scared the G willikers out of me <laughs> about climate and, and why we need to take action. And 10 years before that, you know, I saw with everyone else an inconvenient truth made by Al Gore. Mm. That also scared everything out of me. Um, the truth is still inconvenient. Something's got to give. Do you have hope about the future for humans to change course? I do have hope. Um, we need hope, and I and I do have hope. I certainly, like everybody else, I get discouraged often because we are still going in the wrong direction in many ways regarding climate change. Um, but you know, ultimately, we humans caused the climate crisis, so we can solve it. And it certainly is not easy. It's not going to be easy. And with each year that passes, when we're going in the wrong direction, it becomes harder to solve. But one thing that's important to remember is that we shouldn't think of this in binary terms. Either we cure the climate crisis or we don't. Because if we think in those kind of ways, it, it, hope is pretty much lost from the beginning because there's bound to be uh, continued climate change. There's too much heating already in the pipeline uh, for it to just stop immediately. So we need to think that anything we can do to slow climate change or make it prolonged, um, uh, spread it out over a longer period, think about the pandemic, flattening the curve was the phrase in the early days of the pandemic. That's all very helpful. Well, Steve, we so, so appreciate you and definitely need to have you back. Thank you for giving us the, the scoop about uh, 
the current picture uh, for climate and what you guys are up to. Thank you, Bianca. And I hope I didn't scare you today. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I am just, I'm still scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to have some combination of fear, but hope, because if it's all fear, then people are just going to throw up their hands and say it's hopeless. But, but if we do that, we're, we're giving up at exactly the wrong time. That's Steve Vabris, Wisconsin State Climatologist. He's also a senior scientist at the Nelson Institute Center for Climactic Research at UW-Madison. If you want to stay on top of air quality and pollution this week, Public Health has a great website for checking out current conditions. We'll toss a link in our show notes. Also, some tips for staying cool in the heat wave this week. And here's what else Madison's talking about. That heat wave. We've seen chart-topping temperatures across the U.S. and the world, and now it's coming to us. Today, we should expect temperatures in the low 90s, with the most intense heat tomorrow and Friday in the upper 90s. Things are expected to cool down over the weekend. The National Weather Service says that this heat is coming up from the southwest part of the country and would take a cold front from the north to knock it out. So keep your wits about you, stay hydrated, be safe. If you need a place to cool down, why not chill out at your public library? And three splash pad water parks are open daily from 10 to 8. Cypress Park, Elver Park, and Rindell Park. And check on your neighbors, y'all. Speaking of forecasting, the Republican National Committee just launched an early voting campaign ahead of the 2024 election. Their first stop, Wisconsin. They say early voting will be key to winning this election. So what about those ballot drop boxes that our Supreme Court ruled unconstitutional? That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this episode with someone who was both traumatized by and a fan of the 1996 cult classic, Twister. That poor cow. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Ciao. Keep your keep your wits about you. Eat your vitamins. Yeah, what else should we talk? <laughs> okay, let me just do that line again.